Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Due to strong sexual content, viewer discretion is advised. Today at Dr. Phil Exclusive, it's impossible to imagine. An eight-year-old girl found locked away in this closet for six years. Enslaved by her parents. Emaciated, sick, with her hair full of lice. Her eyes are matted shut. She had no clothes on. Closet smelled horribly. Urine and all the bodily functions. Beaten and half-starved. This child tried to eat anything she could. She had eaten wood from the doorframe. Now. This is Lauren's first interview since being rescued from that closet. The heartbreaking story in her own words. Do you recall clawing at the door? I do because I was trying to get out. Why did Lauren's mother do this to her own child? Before we start, I have to warn you that today's show contains disturbing and sexually explicit content. This is not a show for children, but it is a show that could save a child's life. It was a crime that sent shockwaves around the world. An eight-year-old girl found starved and locked away in this closet. It was infected by lice, soaked in urine and feces, and normally pitch black. She spent six long years trapped in this nine-by-four room, kept enslaved by her own parents. A daughter born into the world under abusive circumstances. Emaciated, sick, covered in feces, with her hair full of life. I felt like I was going to get sick. I about puked and I cried. Police say the little girl was caged in a closet, crying for help, and no one listened. I was the first officer to arrive at the scene. Condition of the little girl, Lauren, was horrible. Her skin was peeling due to laying in her own feces. Lauren's matted hair reminded me of a rat's nest. The closet where Lauren had been kept, it smelled horribly. Urine and all the bodily functions. During the investigation, we found what appeared to be chew marks or teeth marks on the inside of the closet door handle. I haven't ever run across anything like this. She weighed only 25 pounds and was three feet tall, even though she was eight years old. She was severely malnourished. 30-year-old Barbara Catherine Calhoun has six children, but police in Hutchins say only one of them was locked in this closet, which has been her prison for months and quite possibly years. Police say the girl's stepfather was afraid to intervene because he was afraid of his wife. Day four of this trial, and again, another round of disturbing testimony outlining the abuse and the impact that abuse will have on an eight-year-old girl. We hope she'll be able to learn to live with this awful torture and abuse at the hands of the one person who was charged to love and protect her. Prosecutors asked the jury to show 30-year-old Barbara Atkinson no mercy. It's touched all of us, and we're never going to be able to forget it. Well, Lauren's parents, Barbara and Kenneth, made sure her existence, locked away in the closet, remained a tightly guarded secret. 
neighbors Jeannie and Joe had been in and out of the house but had no idea that just a few feet away, Lauren lay hidden, naked, and starving. Here's what they say about the day Kenneth revealed Barbie's little secret. We live catty-corner to Barbara and Kenneth Atkinson. Lauren's father would take the youngest children for a walk. Our children rode bikes together, played together. We were aware that they had a sixth child. There had been a mention of a ghost child. And of course, our eyebrows raised. You know, what ghost child are you speaking of? And, well, our, our other daughter, she's, she lives with her father. And... One day, Kenneth came over and he told us that he had a secret and that he needed to tell someone. Kenneth walked me into the house, back into his room, to the closet. He then opened the door and he said, hello, Lauren. Lauren looked like a Holocaust child. I was stunned. Lauren had sores all over her head where the lice had just taken over. I will never forget it. Terrible shock. It was horrid. When I walked in, when I finally looked at Kenneth, he was sitting on the couch with his hands on his knees, did not say a word, pretty much staring at the floor. Made no efforts to move, made no efforts to speak. Looking at the closet in a simple word is, is absolutely disgusting. The pictures are very mild compared to what was actually seen in the closet. The air freshener that Lauren had obviously tried to eat and didn't finish. The one thing that caught my eye was the chewed up plastic butter bowl. All around the room was chewed up completely. I remember just, oh my God, this child was starving. She tried to eat anything she could. I will never forget it. Well, Jeannie, one of the first people to lay eyes on Lauren is joining us today via Polycom. Uh, Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us. How do you feel as you watch this again? Yeah, I had forgot it every day. It crosses my mind. Ken told you that he had something to show you, that he wanted to show you what he called Barbie's secret. Take us through that moment when he walked you to that closet door and opened it. He opened the door and he said, hello, Lauren. And the little girl looked up at me. She looked at me with her left eye barely open. She had no clothes on. Her head, like you mentioned, was matted everywhere. And her skin looked scaly and white, pasty. She was an itty-bitty, fragile-looking child. And how old did she look? I've got a three-year-old granddaughter, and she looks smaller than that. But in fact, she was eight years old. Yeah. But you did tell your husband and y'all called the police. You did what exactly needed to be done. You got authorities there. You got this girl out of that closet, you and your husband. Now, following her discovery in the closet, Lauren spent months in a hospital being nursed back to health. After her physical health was stabilized, therapist Sandra Mahoney volunteered to work with Lauren. Only then did the cruel and sordid details of Lauren's abuse begin to come to light. Lauren spent five weeks in the hospital. When I saw her, I thought she looked like a three-year-old child. And her walking and her motor skills were like a three-year-old child. My specialty is play therapy. 
she began to play out her themes during the play therapy sessions. She acted out pain and suffering and asking for help. When she showed anger, she would take this baby doll and spread the legs apart and scream, hit and punch the vagina of the doll and say, you hurt me, you hurt me, stop it, stop it, stop it. She began to have what Lauren called visions, memories of what her stepfather had done to her. Lauren would describe how her stepfather would invite his friends over and they would have sexual activities with her too. She had to have reconstructive surgery because from her vagina to her rectum had been totally scarred, torn open, and she had to wear a colostomy bag for three months. The thing that was the hardest to watch was a little child acting out bleeding and moaning and begging for help. And I realized during those sessions that she had had to heal herself for six years. The thing that bothers me the most is the fact that a mother and a stepfather could be so evil and cruel and take pleasure out of so much pain. The little girl we've been talking about, Lauren, is now 18. Now, Sandra's been working with her for the past 10 years, and she has evolved a lot during that time, right? Yes. She's made great strides. How did it begin to come out that she had been so savagely abused sexually? Through play therapy, she would take a doll, a baby doll that represented her, and through her actions of spreading the legs apart and beating on the vagina area with the knife, a play knife, or anything she could pick up, and she would scream, stop it, stop it, and she would say her stepfather's name. And I knew the child had been abused. You, you said she would repeatedly lay on the floor yes. and draw blood right. spewing from her mouth. Tell right. me about that. She would lay on the floor and put her little head this way, take a piece of paper with a red marker and just make blood and blood. And she would say it was blood. And she would moan and she would say, help. She would do this repeatedly, session after session. And that's how I knew a little girl was vomiting blood and bleeding. And for six years, no doctor ever looked at her and she healed by herself. And how damaged was she vaginally and rectally? Between the vaginal area and the rectum area, it was just one solid gaping area. So this little girl had to have the reconstruction surgery. We've now learned that she was forced to eat fecal matter. Right. She ate parts of the wall, right. the floor, the bowl. Mm -hmm. So all these inanimate objects were impacted as well, right? They were. And they said if they had not found her and cleared her out, she soon would have died. And as she's talked about this and, and, and moved along, you, you found that she had an uncommon vocabulary 
for someone that had been held prisoner from two to eight. What's the explanation for that? What I found out was that she had a lot of words, but she didn't have a lot of understanding. She didn't know what grass was. This family would put a radio in front of her door and turn it to a country western station, and that's how she learned her words. So they had this radio playing so people wouldn't hear her. Right, to buffer her sound. Inside, they'd have that playing to drown her out if she made noise. Right. And they would leave her for several days at a time. So this radio was going on nonstop, 24-7. Well, we're going to take a break. And next, she survived the unthinkable, being held captive and sexually and physically abused, brutalized, and threatened on a daily basis by her own parents. We're going to meet this young woman, Lauren, when we come back. It was always dark. I didn't get fed. They took me out of the closet to have sex with me. When they were done with me, they would beat me and throw me in the closet. It was like torture. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Well, today we're talking about the shocking story of an innocent and precious eight-year-old girl forced to live in a dark, lice-infested, feces-strewn closet from the ages of two to eight years old. She thought it was always dark because she never saw daylight. When she was rescued, she weighed 25 pounds and was the size of a small three-year-old. Now, luckily, she did survive, and she is here with us today at age 18. She says she wants to tell her story. Take a look. I was locked in a closet for six years. I could not get out, no matter what I did. It was always dark. I didn't get fed. I didn't get to eat. I had to go to the bathroom in the closet where I slept. I had a pillow on the floor and maybe a blanket every now and then if I was good. I would cry until I fell asleep. I thought I could escape by clawing the door, and they were furious. My parents said if they couldn't have me, no one could. I did not try to escape again. They took me out of the closet to have sex with me. There's three steps. The first step was oral, and then the second steps where they would have sex with me on the bed and tie me down. There was blood all over the sheets and everywhere. The third step. They would take me to the shower so that they could have sex with me in there. When they were done with me, they would beat me and throw me in the closet. It was like torture. My mom would bring home guys and girls to have sex with me if I screamed or yelled. That really made them mad. My parents thought it was hilarious for them to watch. That I had to do what they said so that I could stay alive. 
My parents would use some kind of weapon to beat me. I have scars all over my body where they have cut me. My stepdad would get the gun that was beside his bed, put it to my head, and pull the trigger, pretend to shoot me. If I had a message for my parents, it would say, rotten jail, because that is where they belong. Well, this is Lauren's first interview since being rescued from that closet. Tell me, how much do you remember about that entire six-year period? I know parts of this are fuzzy for you, but parts of it are very, very clear. True? Yes, sir. What do you remember the most? Probably the um, stuff that they did to me, like the abuse and the sexual abuse and stuff. That's the main stuff that comes back the most. You would be in this room, and everybody needs to remember that this started at two years old. So you didn't know what was right or what was wrong. Did you have any sense whether your existence, your life was different than than other people? No, I thought that uh, it was like every other kid, like that every kid was like that, that they that they did that stuff. So you're in this closet and it's dark, right? Yes, sir. When they came to open that door, had you learned to know opening that door is is going to lead to pain? I did because that was the only time they took me out. All right. And they took you out for what? To have sex with me and beat me. And who is they? Who had sex with you and beat you? My um, parents, Barbie and Kenneth. So your mother had sex with you? Yes, my mother did. And, and, and your father, Ken, did? Yes. How would that go? I was tied to the bed so that I couldn't run away. Evidently, I would shake the ropes loose or something. And um, they started using handcuffs instead of ropes. My dad would start it, and then my mom, and when they got tired of me, they would untie me and do it with with themselves and make me watch. Mm -hmm. And eventually, they would put you in the shower, and there would be more sexual interaction. Then you would go back in the closet? Yes. What would cause them to beat you one time versus another? If I did, like, something wrong when they were sexually abusing me, I got, like, some kind of punishment, like a beating or cut or... My dad, one time, I didn't do, I didn't do something right to make him happy, so he put a gun to my head and pulled the trigger. You now know this was very wrong, that you didn't deserve this. No kid or anybody should go through what I've been through. No, nobody deserves anything to do harm to them. Lauren has never seen the shocking pictures from the day she was rescued or the closet that she lived in all those years. 
Now, I spoke to Lauren and her therapist before the show, and they agreed that she was emotionally prepared to see them today. Since, since this all took place, um, you've not since that time seen any pictures of, of where you were kept. I have some pictures here to show you. Are you okay to look at these? Yes, sir. All right. Well, you and I will look at them together. This is the day you were rescued. You were sitting at the kitchen table. Tell me what that brings back to your thinking. I was so small. Mm. I didn't weigh very much. Um. You were actually about 25 pounds. In comparison to other eight-year-olds, you know, we, we kind of have a chart to, to, to show where you would be normally. You can see you were dramatically uh, different. Um, at eight, would normally be 57 pounds and three feet nine inches, and you were just a little under three feet and less than half the, the normal weight. Um, all right, the second picture is just a close-up. Uh, of the face the night you were rescued. Um, do you get that that's you? No, not today, no. Mm -hmm. Can't believe that. Looks so different. Do you remember getting dressed that day? Because this was different, because usually you were just in the floor, maybe with a blanket and completely naked. But this day, you got dressed. This day, you came out. This day, you sat at the table. This is a picture taken of the closet where you were locked away. And when you were in there, it was almost always dark, except you know, when the door was opened. And this is the, the picture taken inside the closet. We have a picture of the doorknob, which has scratches on it. Do you recall trying to get out of the closet, clawing at the door or the handle or the wall in any way? I do, because I was trying to get out, and every time I would, they would put, like, a lock or something on it mm -hmm. so that I wouldn't get out. There were times that they would be gone, and you would hear the other kids outside in the house, right? Yes, sir. Did, did you ever yell for them to help you or to let you out? I try to yell to come get me out, and they would um, turn the radio up louder so that they wouldn't hear me because there was always a radio playing. Have you ever seen any of your siblings, brothers or sisters I have since not. then? I have not, sorry. Mm -hmm. When they took you out that day and you went outside and saw the sunlight and the daylight and, and grass. What went through your head at that point? I really wouldn't know. I uh, really didn't know the difference between light and night. Tell me about the moment when you realized you didn't have to go back in that closet. I was probably happy or like, I wouldn't say happy, but like maybe thankful for being rescued. Mm -hmm. 
And in the coming time, you went back to your adoptive mother. And in that coming time, how did it feel to have food to eat? I would eat so much that I would make myself sick. Yeah. Because I hadn't have I didn't eat. I would sneak food into my room and put it under, or like hide it somewhere and eat it like in the middle of the night. So you would hide food away because you never know when it's going to stop again, right? Yes. How did it feel to sleep in a bed? I didn't sleep in the bed. I slept on the floor. I thought that was safer because that's where I slept. still do that sometimes. Um, when I get scared, I'll sleep on the floor. Next, we're going to meet Lauren's adopted mother, who has dedicated her life to helping her daughter. We'll be right back. Lauren told me that her mom made her eat her own poop. She has scars in her head and cigarette burns on her back. She was scared to death. She didn't trust anybody. She didn't want to be alone. My mom did try to drown me. I remember passing out, not being able to breathe. Next thing I know, I'm waking up and my mom's standing over me laughing like I was a wimpy kid or something. I say God was with me that day, or I'd be dead right now. Well, that was Lauren talking about some of the shocking abuse inflicted upon her by her own mother, who kept her confined in a closet for six years. Now, and Lauren, it wasn't just a closet. There were times that you were confined under a house? Another punishment was under the house. It would be winter and there was snow on the ground. I, all I had was like a blanket maybe. And I had to go under the house and, until they wanted me to come back in. And then sometimes they actually put you in a toy box. I was kept in a toy box when they wanted to go somewhere. They would put that toy box in the trunk of a car and uh, drives like somewhere wherever they wanted to go. And then they would unload the box and yes. And then they would let you out at just for when they wanted to abuse you in some way and then you're back in the box? Yes. Well after being nursed back to health, Lauren was taken in by another family. Now here's what her adoptive mother Sabrina has to say about Lauren's condition when she was discovered. Take a look. She first got to the hospital. She dropped down to 22 pounds and they thought that she wasn't gonna make it. The doctor said that they had to do surgery in through her esophagus because she had been impacted with pieces of plastic that she had eaten from bowls that they had left. Whenever they went on vacation, she had eaten wood from the door frame. Lauren told me that her mom made her eat dog poop and her own poop. Lauren first came home, she was real quiet. She didn't trust anybody. She didn't want to be alone. She was scared to death. Still today, Lauren sleeps on the floor. In the beginning, we would find her in the closet. She would go in there in the kitchen, get food, take it to the closet, eat it, and then throw it all up. She was hoarding food. We would find food up underneath the mattress, underneath the bed, in a lot of different places. 
Lauren's growth is stunning. Lauren is 4'11". She has scars in her head. She has cigarette burns on her back. Lauren had to have reconstructive surgery on her private parts because whoever sexually abused her tore her all up. She's having seizures and we don't know why. Neurologists have said that it's because her brain is trying to bring back memories and that her body is physically trying to fight the memory because of the trauma. If I was abused like my daughter was, I would hate people. My daughter loves people. That's amazing to me. So tell me how you feel hearing your mom kind of talk about things. Well, it makes me sad that someone would have to go through something like that. But it's made me a better person today. Are you glad you survived? I'm very grateful for all the help that people have given me. Lauren, I, I think you need to know there are a lot of people in your life that are humbled by your courage. You are a, a strong and courageous woman. How proud of her are you? She's strong. She gives 110% with everything she does. Mm -hmm. I love her to death. Yeah. Now, you actually raised her before she went with these monsters? Yes, for two, for almost two years. So almost at birth, she was with you. How did she come to be back with those people? Barbara, which was her biological mother, came back about eight or nine months later, said she wanted her back, and we fought in court as hard as we could. Um, we showed that she was being abused then. She'd come home with bruises after her visitations and marks on her and... Um, so you had her up until two, then you lose custody. Yes, sir. And so she's with them from two to eight, going through this horrific time. And at that point, she was allowed to come back to you. After she was found, um, and the hospital had her, and they had to make sure that everything was kosher with us, but yes, eventually. Yes. Right. And you've done a lot of things to, to try to accommodate. Uh, for example, you say you've taken all the doors uh, off the bedrooms, closets, everything in the house, so she never has a sense of confinement, true? Yes. And uh, did that help you, having everything open where you never were closed in anywhere? I think it put me at peace mm -hmm. a little bit. Next, an emotional reunion between Lauren and the people responsible for her closet rescue. The neighbor uh, is here with us today on satellite, and she had not seen you since that day, uh, but, but she's seen you now, and I want to introduce you. Why don't you tell Lauren who you are and, and when you first saw her? I'm a neighbor. If I knew you were there, I would have... The day I saw you, I regret not grabbing you up right away. I did get my husband to, call, to go straight to the police afterwards. He looked up at me, and it was, I'll never forget it. So anything you want to say to, to Jeannie? Uh, thank you very much 
for calling the police because if it wasn't for you, my parents would have killed me. A man by the name of Gary McLean was the first police officer on the scene that night, and he has not seen you since that day. Please welcome Officer Gary McLean. Thank you very much. Good to meet you, sir. Have a seat right here. Just take my seat. I'll just stand right here. What did you think when you opened that door and saw this child? When I walked in, she turned and looked at me and smiled. Where she came up with a smile, I have no idea. Yeah. But she did. Do you have any recollection of him at all? You're that guy that brought the Mountain Dew, right? What'd you say? The guy that brought the Mountain Dew. Uh, I named him Mountain Dew Man. Yeah. Yeah, she re she has referred to you over the years as Mountain Dew Man. Right. right. Uh, so right. I didn't really know his name, so I named him Mountain Dew Man. Uh, you had actually been at this house days before, right? The day before, actually, I was there on another um, CPS referral, and I stood in the doorway inside the house and checked out three other kids mm -hmm. that belonged to the other uh, parents. Mm -hmm. Had no idea. I did see in the back room, I, could, I was facing the master bedroom, and I could see the TV on and hear a radio on. And it, was, it seemed kind of odd to me, but I didn't, nothing clicked until I got the call the next day. What did you think when you realized you'd been in that house and that that radio was cloaking her existence? That killed me. Um, I dealt with that a few times. You arrested... The parents. Yes, I did. Kenneth and, and Barbara. Yes, sir. What was their attitude? Ken acted somewhat remorseful. He, you know, he had red eyes and teary eyes when I when I first came in, and and uh, Barbie, she had no no remorse, showed no remorse whatsoever. Um, she asked, "What was I doing there?" And um, I told her, "I think you know what I'm doing here. Turn around, and place your hands behind your back." Next, Lauren's mother. The monster who tortured her own flesh and blood answers the question everybody in America wants to know. Why did she do this to her own child? We're going to find out what she said when she was asked that question when we come back. For one out of every six Americans, hunger is a cruel reality that they face each day. That's why I'm partnering with Feeding America, the nation's leading domestic hunger relief charity. Just $1 will provide eight meals to those who really need them. So go to drphil.com to find out how you can make a difference. I was the one who arrested both parents. When I placed Barbara into custody, really there was no remorse. There was no, no crying on her part. It was more of an anger that I think she was caught. In court, Barbara never said she was sorry for hurting Lauren. Barbara didn't cry. She was emotional a little bit when she talked about her other children, but she wasn't sad. She didn't cry about Lauren. She didn't cry about facing a life sentence. Well, that was Officer McLean and reporter Jennifer Emily talking about their impressions of Lauren's mother, Barbara Atkinson. Now, Barbara is in prison for life for keeping Lauren locked away in a pitch-black closet infested with lice and caked with feces where she lay naked and starving for six years. 
Now, Jennifer was the first person to interview Lauren's mother, Barbara, following her arrest. And she's joining us now via Polycom. So, uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. When you talked to her mother, Barbara, what did you learn? I had hoped to find a reason why someone would do this to their child, but there was no reason. Barbara gave excuses. She said that he was trying to cope with having a miscarriage. She said that Lauren caused problems, that Lauren ate too much. But those weren't reasons, not that there ever could be one. And she referred to Lauren as it? When she was speaking about he said it caused problems. It had to be in the closet. She spoke about Lauren very matter of fact. She didn't show any empathy, any caring, any understanding. She showed no empathy, no caring. She never said she was sorry. I wanted to know what Lauren wants to know now. Why would this happen? There are no reasons, and Barbara couldn't give any. Do you have any desire to talk to your mother? I used to, yeah, but now probably not. Mm -hmm. They're in prison with life sentences. Does that seem just to you? No, sir. What do you think should happen to them? Death row. A therapist that you've been working with uh, is, is Lindsay Jones. You have marveled at her strength and courage, Lindsay, as, as you've worked with her. She absolutely has uh, drawn you know, from her own inner strength and just decided that she was going to move on and that she was going to live and she was going to thrive. And um, that's coming from uh, initially her saying, why am I here? And how do you think she's doing overall? I feel very um, confident that she will continue to improve because of the, la the improvement over the last four years and her determination to do so. Yeah. This is over. I mean, that's the good news. That time is over. And look, we know when you've been through this, is it ever over? I mean, do you ever forget it? The answer is no, you don't forget it. But you learn... To, to deal with it and, and you learn to cope with it. What do you want to do with your life? What, do you, what, what are your hopes? What are your dreams going forward? I would love to help people that have been abused. I, will, I would like to be a counselor someday mm -hmm. and help people. I think I, I survived because, of course, of people's help, but because God had something better in mind for me. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll be right back. I want to offer to send Lauren to the P&P &P Center, which is operated by Dr. Frank Lawless, who is the head of my advisory board. There, Lauren is going to undergo psychological, neurological, and cognitive testing. They will work with her therapist, Lindsay Jones, to help Lauren continue to rebuild her life. So this is a team effort. We're just adding to the team. I want to thank all of my guests today, and, and, and there's a list. Jennifer from the Dallas Morning News, Officer uh, Gary McLean, thank you so much, and therapist Sandra Mahoney and Lindsay Jones, thank you guys so much for being here. 
I would especially like to thank Lauren, whose strength and courage to come forward and tell her story is just an inspiration for us all. I'm going to put some warning signs for neglect and abuse and who you should call if you suspect a child is being abused or neglected on the website at drphil.com. I've said before, I'd rather check out a thousand situations where nothing was wrong than fail to check out even one where something was wrong. And so please, we need to be vigilant and pay attention to what's going on around us, and hopefully we can save someone from going through what you've gone through. I need to ask you to step back up for just one more minute. See, you thought you were done. Uh, but step back up here if you would. Uh, first off, now that you've kind of got this behind you, uh, are you glad you came? Yes, sir. I want to ask everybody in the audience today if you think that this young woman has suffered enough, if you think this young woman has earned the right to claim a happy and productive life going forward, stand up and cheer for her right now. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, everyone.